podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. This is your extra show of the week. I am your host, Cammy Bell, as always. And listen, I have to get straight to it. I have to introduce my guest because he's one of my favourite people in the world, the boss himself, Mr David Edgar. David, how are you this week, my friend? How's the heart rate? I'm just champion, Cameron. I'm champing, <laughs> champing at the bit. A champing um, champion, is that what you're trying to say? I'm actually to really tired today and I, I know I'm not alone in this because social media was full of it. Um, followfollow.com was full of other other you know areas to chat that didn't sleep last night and that's been the case for a few Rangers games lately um afterwards happily you know after the European game or whatever but uh, this title is it means so much and because of that I think our emotional levels are huge um and through the roof at the moment so uh, I, I don't think I was alone last night and just that we've kept, I think, scrunched up in a ball inside that we've had to to get through certain times over the last ten years that are that are all coming up now. And yeah, so if I if if I nod off, then you'll know why. <laughs> I hope it won't be because of the fact that the show is so boring to you, my friend. But uh, let's get into it uh, because we've got quite a fair bit to discuss. Rangers were back in league action last night, uh, played against Livingston through uh, Almondvale the Tony Macaroni uh, Arena, the Spaghetti had, or whatever the hell it's called this week, but through in West Lothian anyway uh, for a six o'clock kickoff. Um, David, I'll jump into the team first of all, because I think the, the surprise to us was when uh, we were looking at the potential replacement for Liam Balligan, who has replaced uh, James Tavernier, was that Nathan Patterson would have been in contention, but we kind of expected uh, an SFA sanction to come through. It didn't, and Patterson was free to play. So the team lined up with McGregor and Goals, obviously. The aforementioned Nathan Patterson at right back, Connor Goldson, Philip Holander, Bona Barisic, Scott Arfield, Stephen Davis, Glenn Kamara, uh, and a front three of um, uh, Aribo Morelos and Ryan Kent. David, I don't want to fixate too much on the pitch at Livingston because I know that we've talked about it kind of ad nauseum. It's garbage. I've played on it. It is worse to play on than it looks like in the telly. Uh, there are about, ironically, three pitches of better quality within about a 10-mile radius in Livingston. Um, last night, I thought at times... The opening 30 minutes probably wasn't great in terms of where we were. Livy obviously came off of the defeat of the League Cup final uh, against Johnston on Sunday. They had to see this as an opportunity to bounce back. David Martindale, I think, has done a very, very good job of them. But that pitch felt sluggish last night. I don't think it suited our preference for a passing game, playing with the ball to feet as well. Uh, it just felt like it dragged quite a bit last night. And our open, opening 30 minutes, for me, uh, a little bit slow, a little bit uh, sluggish to get out of the blocks, I think. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think last night it was noticeably slower than perhaps in the past, and it's always quite slow. The bounce last night was wild. Um, and I feel for the players, I feel for our players, that yeah, it's all right for us to say, oh, you're, you're used to it, and but when you're used to playing football and you've done it habitually for years and years and years and years, and a ball doesn't bounce the way it bounces 
on every other park, then it's going to have an effect on you. It definitely slows the play up. There's no doubt about that. Trying to pass the ball is difficult, and that's why Livy rarely do. Uh, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. However they want to play is, is, is up to them, but they do try and long balls and hit their strikers quickly and, and get forward to it. I just don't think that part's conducive to it. Look, people get fed up and they say, oh, you know, we shouldn't bang on about that. We should bang on about this because it's it, it's disgraceful that if you don't have, if you can't have a grass pitch, then why are you in the top league? I'm sorry, but it's a basic requirement. To me, it's up there with having footballs. Um, nothing against Livingston as a club. I like the manager. I think he's a very honest guy, very engaging. But that pitch is an absolute disgrace. And, and you, you saw it last night. And we have a league that doesn't have a sponsor, Cami. And then you're trying to sell it. And one of your better sides at play football, you are sending to, to play on that where they can't play football. And you're going to get a game that really, unless you care about the sides, or the result is, is pretty much unwatchable because it's just so so poor. But that's because you're not allowing the sides to play football. You're not encouraging them to play football. Um not, I do think we have to bang on about this because eventually at some point we've got to look at the greater good of the game and all of these little things that don't directly get in the way of improving our league that people say, well, what's that got to do with not having a sponsor? It's all of these things that combine to make that happen and, and I thought that last night was a case in point. If you were flicking through the channels and you saw this game and you'd seen Rangers last week in the Europa League you ain't sticking on that game last night, and that wasn't our fault. Well, that's the point I was going to make, was when you talk about the, the, the commercial attraction, let's put it like that, we talk about bringing in potential sponsorship. That game kicked off last night, 6 o'clock. There was obviously games on after us uh, on, on, on Sky Sports, and, and you know, we know that the accessibility to football um, has certainly increased given the you know the uh, changes due to COVID because we will have games on the TV at six o'clock and then another game on eight o'clock and in normal times it would be a seven forty-five kickoff and that would be your whack. That can attract an audience, but if you're watching this last night, you know outside of Scotland, you really are just thinking to yourself, watching that ball bounce because the way how that pitch moves, the way how the ball bounces and, and the effect on it, you can tell that Livingston are, are perfectly happy to let that happen because they're far more used to it. Even our artificial surfaces, uh, at the RTC, I would imagine, are, are far better than what Livy have uh, on that on that surface. Uh, but you're watching that thinking, this is absolute horrendous because, you know, again, the the way how the the... The, the ball kept sticking under players' feet, even when they were trying to be able to try and play with it. When you did try and play it along the surface, it, it held up. It was just, I mean, incredibly poor. And you're right, listen, I think that, you know, we absolutely do have to um, continue to, to to bang that drum. And, and there are wider reaching effects in terms of where that, uh, where that can go. Um, Rangers, for me, David, I don't think, as I say, started well within that. I, I will give some credit to David Martindale here. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think, you know, he's very personable. I think that he's quite clearly had uh, a, a very, very strong impact on Livingston. And if you were to say to me as a neutral watching this, which team has only a few days ago lost a cup final, to be honest with you, I would have said Rangers. And it's quite clear that Martindale had got them motivated to be able to to, to go out and, and start to give us a decent press. Livy did try a, a couple of kind of decent shots. Uh, nothing much came of them, however. 
we um, we had a couple of our own opportunities, um, and uh, Joe Rebo was uh, was very unlucky. Phil Hollander had a, a very good header, which uh, just went over the bar at that point. So we started to kind of come into it. Um, Livingston again kind of came back in. There was another great block by the aforementioned uh, Phil Hollander, who again I thought was. Uh, a bit yin and yang last night. Couple of the bounces, I think, deceived them. But again, positionally, I think he looked pretty, pretty solid at times. Um, and uh, Robinson for Livingston was unable to finish from a decent cross uh, from Serrano. Um, there's no real getting away from it, David. The, the main talking point of the first half um, occurred not long before half time, which was. Uh, a through ball was played to Alfredo Morelos again, thanks to the pitch. The ball takes a, a, an unnatural bounce and's held up very well for him. He's able to take the touch. Keeper comes out to be able to, to to at least do nothing else other than put him off, but actually makes contact with his left knee. Alfredo goes down. At the time, from the camera angle of it, I thought I wasn't sure if it was a, a dead-on penalty, but when I look at it from a side-on view, uh, there's clear contact. Alfie goes down. The defender who's next to Morelos as he's chasing him does nothing. The keeper does nothing. Alfie does nothing. Uh, and yet John Beaton, having taken a small amount of time to be able to try and pause, deemed it to be a simulation and then booked him. Um, I was astounded, David. I really, really was. We'll come on to the manager in just a moment because obviously that's another big talking point. Um, but within even the players' reactions, that's where I don't get where John Beaton, even to use them as an indicator, uh, and he quite clearly has a view of it. His linesman has a much better view of it from what we're led to believe the fourth official had a decent view of it. How how on earth has he come to that decision? There's a lot to unpack there. Um, firstly, you make a great point, and that is about players' reactions. I don't understand why referees don't give themselves the benefit of that. You can tell, right, when a player's at it and when a player is genuinely incandescent with rage uh, and you're right, the Livingston goalkeeper was not over at the referee shouting, book him, book him, that's a dive uh, so give yourself the benefit of, of that extra tool to help in your decision making if you're a referee, the best ones do however, firstly it's a shocking decision, I have no idea how he didn't think it was a a, a penalty kick because it quite clearly was, Alfredo gets there It's the, you know I used to play up front not at any great level but your coaches always tell you in that situation get there get the touch jump um to try and get round the goalie and if he clips you you get a penalty or you're round him and you've got to tap him which is exactly what alfredo is trying to do um clearly he clips him and alfredo goes down doesn't go down dramatically doesn't go down in installments or anything like that doesn't throw himself up in the air he gets clipped and he goes down how the linesman on that side doesn't see that, I am afraid I don't believe that he didn't see that, which makes me think that Beaton has either overruled him or that he hasn't had the balls to come out and say, no, he definitely clipped him there. Now, even if you want to say the referee isn't sure that there's been contact, so he can't give it, okay, I'm willing to hear that and say, right, it's still a mistake, but okay, but if he does, if he isn't sure, then he certainly can't be sure either that it's a dive. So he can't book him. We all know why he booked Alfredo Morelos. And this is why John Beaton shouldn't be a top flight referee. Because he 
doesn't referee what he's seeing. He doesn't give what he's seeing. His head is too full of other matches, previous things, and what the outcome to a decision might be. And that is not someone who should be a top-level referee. Now, on the one hand, it's a little bit... I feel a bit sorry for him because this came after the witch hunt against him um, by... Celtic cheerleaders in the media, etc., and Celtic fans after that old firm game he refereed. But even so, he quite clearly doesn't give what he sees. He gives what he thinks he probably should give. And that, to me, is when you are going down a very slippery slope. There was no reason at all to book Alfredo Morelos last night. It was a ridiculous decision. And again, I go back to if you're the linesman, you have to see that. If you're the fourth official, you've seen it. When you see him going for the card, you see in his ear, it's not a dive. You might not think it's a penalty, John, but it's not a dive. It was an absolutely atrocious decision. And it's another one from the guy who, you know, up until that Antwerp ref a few weeks ago, the, the first leg, the singular worst refereeing performance I've ever seen. And I don't even need to tell you what it is. You'll know, you'll all know what I'm talking about. There was also the penalty at Aberdeen last season. I could I could lift another half a dozen examples from this guy. He's weak. I used to say, oh, he gets affected by the crowd. There's no bloody crowd in there. He doesn't give what he sees. He continually makes decisions based on other factors. And he just gets things wrong constantly. Why are we allowing this? Why are we letting this happen? Why is there this strange thing that once a referee becomes a grade one referee, they can't that's it, they're there forever. Um, he's not good enough. And look, it's unfortunate, and that that's a shame, but in much the same way as some players aren't good enough, he's not good enough to referee at that level. Go off and referee at, at lower levels or do it for fun. I, I, it doesn't bother me, but he should not be a grade one referee, and he compounds it, of course, by the incident with Steven Gerrard. The, the challenge I've got with being able to try and see this is that you and I are old enough to remember when the simulation rule came in, right? And obviously it was done to 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 really stamp out diving, and we can understand it. And I think actually, by and large, we kind of agree with it, right? I, I think, I don't know if it's a British thing. I don't know if you agree with me or not in terms of where that is from our own particular culture. We're not big fans of diving. Certainly in mainland Europe, I don't think it's anyone near as criticised as, as, as we tend to see. Even from our own players, I mean, I think just generally we don't enjoy it within the game. But when that rule was brought in, the challenge that we had around that was people then misread it as, okay, so if you're fouled or look to be fouled or a judge to have been fouled or you go down or whatever happens, it's either a penalty or a card. It can't be. It, 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 it has to be one or the other, which is obviously completely incorrect. So you can go down, you can be assessed of contact, but you could go down of you know, your natural causes. It could have been your momentum. It could have been the way, obviously, you were progress through the area and then again like see naturally take a tumble in the box it's, it can happen um for him to be able to give him a, a, a yellow card for simulation what i am going on the assumption is that he has seen that there has been no contact because if his view for whatever reason is obstructed or if he's at an awkward angle or whatever else as well then he can't give anything but what he's doing by giving him a caution is he is saying categorically I know there was no contact there and you went down looking for it, which I think, like you say, is absolutely garbage. I also think that, and I will play this card because it sounds a little bit woe is me and stuff as well, but I also think that that's Alfredo Morelos being um, refereed to a different standard. I don't think that happens if it's certain other players. And I think that this is what happens from Alfie. I heard something ridiculous from Ian Crocker last night around Alfredo's bizarre reaction. He didn't even react. 
by the time that the, the, the beaten walks over to him, he's still on the deck. He hasn't actually claimed the penalty. And do you know what worries me about that, David, as I watch that was I I almost get the opinion that Morelos looks at that challenge and he's he's not even stunned, he's not even surprised that such an amateur referee is going to give him a card for a caution because that's refereeing in Scotland. And it's almost like an acceptance. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And look, there's no doubt that Crocker, we, we saw it or heard it rather at the Hibs game where he just would not. I mean, six solid minutes after half time, he went on about Morelos um, and the incident in the first half. Last night, he actually gave, he, he said his, his reaction is bizarre. Alfredo got up and just walked away. He, he didn't go to the referee, didn't, you know, protest, and he didn't do anything. He got up and he just walked away. This is the first time I've ever seen a commentator call out a player for not dissenting, for not talking back to a referee. It was utter. That was bizarre. Um, so don't tell me there's not there's not an agenda against Alfredo because there is. Whether or not the you know he might argue he doesn't mean it and that Alfredo's box office that's the usual excuse. Um, if you're constantly fixating on somebody in a way that you don't on other people, and if your behavioural norms for other people don't get applied to him, then you are othering him, you're singling him out, and it's quite clear that that's what they do. And I think that you're absolutely right. No other player on the park, I, I don't believe, gets booked for that for that incident. I think the referee... Where I, I don't have a problem with a referee not seeing something. Where I have a problem is when a referee sees something that he can't have. And as you say, to book him... He has to think there's absolutely no contact. He can't have seen that because it didn't happen. But it, the, you know, the guy clearly goes through Morelos. So it's incredibly frustrating. I think that's why Stephen Gerrard lost the plot a little bit in terms of with his with his approach. Actually, that's unfair. Lost the plots too too much. I think that's why he was angry um, with him, and I don't I don't blame him because I was fizzing um, myself uh, I actually commend Alfredo because I'd such an injustice been perpetrated in me I don't think I'd have just got up and calmly walked away Yeah and listen I absolutely want to call that out because listen and I've been a critic of where Morelos' reaction is he has one of those faces it looks like he's in a sulk you know you can see referees as I say giving him a, a very very raw deal in terms of where that is and, and you can see him reacting and we're very cautious about making sure that he doesn't go for it uh, let's jump on to the general thing. I was going to obviously talk about Scotty Arfield just almost immediately before the, the halftime whistle. Had a really, really good opportunity, which was blocked. It was kind of put to the side. But then the the Gerrard incident happened. Stephen Gerrard comes onto the park, um, approaches John Beaton. Now, for anyone listening who doesn't know, I'm a qualified referee. I, I'm not suggesting for a single minute that I am near top level grade one standard. I'm not suggesting that for a minute. But for anyone who's ever went through any kind of form of refereeing courses, you'll know that your biggest tool that you have is not your cards, it's not your whistle, it's your ability to talk to players. And I've refereed games where I've refereed with some of my best pals, and you know you can have that back and forth with them and whatever else have you. I've refereed games where it's been talk strangers and it's been you know relatively decent level, uh, you know, cup games, quarterfinals, and semi-finals and stuff. Games that matter, and. In my experience, David, the, the the best opportunity I've got to make sure that I get what I want out of the game, which is zero attention on me, right? Because I don't want it, me to be any kind of form of, of, of part of what kind of happens. It's having that discourse with them. What happened last night was Stephen Gerrard comes on, starts explaining to John Beaton as he is walking off the park that 
you know, it was a penalty that he was bang out of order. There was language used. That's, let's not pretend that there wasn't, right? We are fair here in heart and hand. But he does explain to him, he's not up in his face. He's not using wild gestures. He's not aggressive. He's not menacing. None of these words. Um, Beaton doesn't break stride. And as he's continuing to walk off the park, he then just produ- very simply just produces a booking. Without looking at him. Without looking at him. Continues to walk. Gerard makes another comment, another comment. And again, now please bear in mind, he has not broken stride one iota. He hasn't hurried, he hasn't slowed down, he hasn't stopped. Produces another yellow card, then the red, and then off he goes. Now, what Stephen Gerrard said in his post-match was that the referee had told him, I'll talk to you about it inside. And Gerard made the very, very uh, decent point of, how can we talk inside when we're all getting changed in three different stands? The problem that I've got with this, David, is I felt, looking at it last night, John Beaton was incredibly aware that the cameras were on him last night. I think he wanted to look a bit Billy Big Boss. And when he produces the yellow card, that's your opportunity as a referee. That's what I've done in my experience, right? Right, Rightly or wrongly, and I'd, I'd love to hear from other referees who maybe, as I say, would do it totally differently. But when you produce that yellow card, you have to explain to the player why, or the 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 manager, the coach, whoever, that you're giving it to, why you are doing it. There has to be discourse. Then you get them, give them the opportunity to calm down, to be able to try and just, you know, control themselves a little bit. Producing two yellows and a red is a nuclear option. And John Beaton did it within about four seconds last night. Um, I thought it was amateur, amateur handling of a relatively... You know, not, I'm not going to say high pressure, but a relatively straightforward exchange. Run of the mill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to say that the manager wasn't upset because you and I were upset. So, of course, he's going to be upset. He's going to stick up for his player who he's just seen has been absolutely unfairly adjudged to have taken a dive when he absolutely didn't. But just terrible handling of the whole situation. I couldn't believe it. He just looked cocky. He looked like as if he wanted to be able to show off that this is a global icon here, but he's not running the show, I'm running the show, and therefore I'll just give you a red card. And as I say, does not even bother stopping to speak to Gerard to actually get him to kind of calm down? It was horrendous. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with any of that. Look, we're obviously biased, and we'll hold our hands up to that. But Gerard approaches him. Yes, there's a couple of swear words in there, but he's not swearing at the referee. And Cammy, as you'll know, and anybody who watches you know, football without the crowd noise a season knows. There's a lot of swearing goes on. And there is a difference between using it to swear at a referee and using it just because you're angry. And referees generally take that into consideration. It's not rugby. But I yeah, referees talk a lot about respect. If you you blank someone, which is what Beaton does, you won't look someone in the eye. That'll set me off in day-to-day life. I think it's it's just a lack of basic decency and courtesy. So I can understand why that might annoy Stephen Gerrard even further. And you're spot on about, I think he sees the camera. I think that's why the second yellow emerges. I think he spots the camera and thinks, I better do this. And again, this is a referee who I think knows he's wrong. And I think knows that he makes mistakes and hides behind cards and decisions. Robbie Nielsen, the Hearts manager, was sent off by him exactly the same circumstances said that recently this is and said all I wanted to do was talk to him but he won't even talk to you he won't he won't other referees well he won't um he doesn't look you in the eye which is disrespectful and and 
there comes a point if this keeps happening that you need to go well what's the common denominator here um i don't believe that yeah i've made my case clear but beaten but i thought that that was if you don't have people management skills why are you a referee um it was easy to defuse that situation you just say to him right okay i i, I thought he dived i'll talk to you after the game uh, in a bit more detail this isn't the place to do it. If he keeps on at you, the yellow card and say, right, don't make me send you off. There's a lot of ways to go. It's all about him. How He managed to lose control of a match that nothing at that point had really happened in. And um, the fact that we ended up with seven yellow cards last night, I think, tells you everything. Listen, one of the things that I've done, right, when I've when I've been in that space myself, right, and I'm certainly not refereeing top flight, top flight games, you know, with the, the, the champions elect involved in it as well, but one of the things I've done when I've had players remonstrating at me like that, even if it's been at halftime or even after the game, is what I've simply said is I've called it as I've seen it. And if I've made a mistake, I've made a mistake. But I've called it as I've seen it. And do you know what? Even players who are very, very uh, frustrated, very angry, very hit up at that point, they accept it. They might not accept it immediately. But the thing last night as well was Jeddah does not want to stand outside the park for 15 minutes across the halftime interval to have this discussion. Everyone was still moving inside. It was so badly handled. I'm just, I'm stunned. I'm genuinely stunned watching back at it. Now, you mentioned a point earlier on as well regarding the the commercial uh, opportunities that our game affords and the fact that we have to keep banging the drum about things like plastic pitches and stuff. And I totally agree with that. But this is also where we have to make this point around, we won the game last night in spite of John Beaton. As you mentioned there, seven cards, and that's only to the players. Nine, if you want to include the the ones that he showed to Gerrard. He totally lost control of that last night. And for me, this is where Rangers do have to come out and say, this is the same thing as when Gerard gets cited by the SFA for what was negligible comments. After a game where Alfredo Morelos receives a two-inch gash in his leg from a horror challenge, it wasn't even a foul, and a number of other examples, which I've already mentioned in terms of where Rangers have to go with this. Um, we're winning it in spite of the referees. And what I really get frustrated by with this, David, is if we had drawn last night or had we lost last night, then we'd be making a much bigger sound about this. Just because we happen to win doesn't mean that these standards can just simply be overlooked and, all oh, right, sorry, Rangers got the three points, so doesn't really matter. No, spot on. This is absolutely the time to do it when, you know, you've won because you can't be accused of sour grapes. Um, it, it, the problem is it's not the first time. This has happened before. This guy scars games he handles. And not just for Rangers. Speak to fans of other clubs will tell you the same thing. And they'll say it doesn't get highlighted as much because we're not you know, Rangers or Celtic. Um, the, he has material effects on games in a negative way. And that's why that there has to be consequences when this continually happens. Because otherwise what you're saying is it's okay for this to continually happen. And if that's what you're saying, then then we're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, let's not waste any more time on John Bean. Um, so we uh, started off the second half, and I thought quite brightly, I think the, the manager was able to compose himself and, and obviously relay a message into the players because uh, virtually right at the start of the second half, we were a goal up, uh, where Connor Goldson um, had a, a very, very brave header, I thought, David, as the goalkeeper comes running out to him. Sadly chalked off, however, for being marginally offside. I, I thought it was a bit similar to... Uh, the goal that he scored uh, at uh, Parkhead in October. However, there wasn't a Shane Duffy there to be able to try and play him on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm very unlucky. And I think, bizarre as it may sound, although it obviously didn't count, 
I think it gave us a little bit of kind of impetus and it showed that we were looking to play a lot more positively. Uh, and listen, Connor Goldson, we're going to come back to him. Um, but again, like I said, a, a, a very brave header kind of coming into that. Gutted that he didn't score it, but uh, I, again, another solid connection from him, just marginally offside. And bizarre as it may sound, the right call as well. Yeah, he was offside, unfortunately, but uh, did very well. I thought he won everything in the air all night. Um, I thought everything that was played up to him um, and just another great performance from him. He's, he's he's my player of the year. I know that others will have their contenders and that's cool. But for me, Conor Goldson's been the rock that this has been built on. Livingston's only other real chance of the game came through from uh, a, a, a long ball to Mullen, which he dropped just in front of Robinson. Alan McGregor really didn't have much to do thereafter. It was pretty much just kind of coming out to collect uh, some some uh, long passes and some some crosses, all of which he dealt with very comfortably. And he was quite clearly looking to, to maintain a level of tempo because as soon as he got it, he was looking for his runners to be able to get the ball fed back out. And then we focused on Alfredo Morelos. Alfie um, had probably two clear chances, I think, David, where... Uh, you know, he shoots wide when I, I can understand why he's going for the goal uh, in terms of one of them. Um, and he is very unlucky with a header uh, just at the kind of back post where Goldson plays across to him. I think Alfie has got one eye on the goalkeeper. I think actually what he's trying to do is he's trying to play it just inside the keeper's left hand post uh, and play it down and low. He hits it wide. And I don't think that we were alone and kind of thinking with these chances that are kind of mounting up, plus, you know, the card that he's on and stuff as well, doesn't look like his night. And it just kind of felt a bit like as if he was just trying just that inch too hard uh, and just maybe a bit of a kind of frustrating night for him up to that point. Yeah, I'll admit that uh, when he missed the, the header, I thought, nah, not tonight, we're not scoring. Um, it, it was a very good chance, but... What I will say is, is I think this demonstrates his maturity and his increased maturity because we have seen an Alfredo Morelos in the past that if he misses a few chances, his head has gone. And that absolutely wasn't the case last night. He kept going, he kept persevering, and I think he got his reward. I think justice was served by the fact that he got the winner. And a fantastic team goal for me. And also for Morelos as well. And I want to kind of break that down into segments, if I may. For Stephen Davis plays into Glenn Kamara. There's some some lovely footwork by Kamara right on the byline. And as he, he he is able to kind of fend off two men, comes out to Cedric and Cedric and plays the ball back to Stephen Davis. A very, and I don't want to, to understate this, a very good shot by Stephen Davis. Because as he hits it towards the keeper's low left-hand side, keeper has to get down, produces a very, very good save. However, Watching all of this unfold as Alfredo Morelos at the back stick, he very cleverly, David, and again, can't be can't be understated for me in terms of where that kind of sits at as well as he watches what's happening with him and then almost draws back slightly because I think he realises that Davis, if he's going to play this, is going to hit it towards the, the far side. As he does that, keeper gets down, Alfie's there in for a tap-in. Obviously, the Livy defenders, your immediate reaction when you see someone doing that from three or four yards out is to raise up the hands and... and you know, useless hope, but um, absolutely fantastic play to, to to get the winner. I think we were all so pleased that it was Alfie who got it because of uh, it's such a night that he's been having. He's hit some brilliant form for us at the moment, but the goal itself, David, was was real class. And I don't think we started well. I think we agree on that. I think we started to come into the game. I think we had a degree of injustice. Our manager's been sent up to the stands. We've started to to really push the game towards Livingston. And last night we got what we deserved, in my opinion. 
Yeah, we did. We we deserved it in the second half. Um, over and above, you know, the fact we should have had a penalty. The the Rangers made by far the better chances, and you know, had one gone in earlier, had uh, Goldson been a foot further back, then I think we would have gone on and won it pretty comfortably. But I love this goal because it was about. I think it represents this Rangers team keeping going. Then some lovely skill, uh, not just from Glenn Kamara, because as well as a, a nice bit of skill, he then. Uh, wins a tackle so it's yeah. that determination Cedric Hitton is in there uh, and again you know the squad has been utilised but it's a lovely ball back but it's, it's the weight of it watch it again folks the weight of it for Stephen Davis is perfect Stephen Davis who was brilliant in that last 25 minutes driving us on uh, I thought he is in there uh, good save from the goalkeeper but Alfredo Chris Boyd highlighted that it. it's not a it's not luck. Watch his movement. He's there. He's alive. He's waiting to see if anything comes out from the goalkeeper, and and he's there and he puts it away. And you could see how much it meant to the players. It was an absolutely huge moment. Yeah, and 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 that's something I want to just come back to in a, in a kind of slight moment. I want to talk a little bit about Alfredo because, um, you know, he he, he has probably not been as involved as he would have liked to have been across the first half of the season. We know that there's been times where. Uh, he, he's cut a frustrated figure, but listen, that's Alfredo Morelos. I mean, he thinks he probably should have been able to try and, and uh, score some more goals towards the first half of the campaign. Um, at the moment, just now, in terms of he's been involved in 12 goals in his last eight games, he's scored six and he's assisted six. Um, that's phenomenal. And last night, what I thought was absolutely fantastic was two things. First of all, the players celebrating everybody in together which is fantastic and then from uh, Rangers TV there was a lovely wee moment which was Tav running onto the pitch absolutely hugging him, loving it you can tell that apart from the fact I love watching Alfredo Morelos' face when he scores goals because that's absolutely what he wants to do, that's his bread and butter what I love about him is that everyone resonates around him, protects him hugs, loves him and then when you see Tav coming onto the park at the end of the game as well there's an incredible togetherness about this squad and a big part of why we've been so successful is because they are playing and fighting and working for each other. And I think that when you saw that come out last night, it was phenomenal. One of the, I, I know that we saw uh, the Nathan Patterson goal um, against Antwerp. Watch him last night when the Morelos goal goes in. It's almost like he's if he's celebrating the, 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 you know, the same goal that he scored himself. You can just tell that these players are properly bonding. And I think, and again, like you say, I don't want to be remiss in saying this. We could have dropped points last night and it wouldn't have been a crisis. It's obviously we're, we're chasing the win and we know that and we understand that. And we're relentless. But it wouldn't have been a crisis situation had we dropped them. But we were going for it until the final minutes. Um, and we absolutely deserve to be able to get that winner. Watching everyone celebrate on the back of it, David, is just, I mean, it just tugs in your heartstrings. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can see how much it means to them. I think it's a lovely moment for Tav and uh, Alfie because they've been there, you know, through the, the dark days as well. And I think you can see how much it means to them. And I think you can see the togetherness of the team. You know, Scott Arfield has run on to celebrate as well because it was a big goal. But uh, you're right, it wouldn't have been a disaster. Um had it been a draw last night, frustrating, but 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 no more than that. But uh, again, I think you know the fact that they kept going, they showed their quality, and I think they were genuinely pleased for him. He's been on fire the last few weeks. He's been absolutely sensational for Rangers the, the last few weeks, and um, you know he's, he's he's deserved the goal. But you know there've been other big goals as well. You know, Hibbs was a huge goal, of course, and and he's been contributing. Uh, I think he was involved in eight of the nine goals against Antwerp, and he he only wasn't involved in the ninth because he would. 
he'd been subbed at that point. In um, fairness, he, he did go off for the sub, so I'm kind of giving that to him as well. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, fair, <laughs> fair. I, I think that's legit. Nah, he, he's been absolutely superb. He's been on fire lately, and uh, just there was a couple of lovely moments. You know, the Borna Barisic stopping the players walking off and saying "walk up" because there's some fans outside. Yeah, absolutely. Only, only having their exercise, they're allowed. Um, socially distance, I'm sure. Uh, and I just thought that was a lovely moment as well and a nice touch. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of teams in the past that we maybe haven't taken to for obvious reasons over the last 10 years. But I think there is a real bond between this this side and and the, the, the fans. And, you know, I think everyone is understandably excited from coaching staff, from players, from staff at the club, from us. Because it's it, it it kind of feels like an achievement that we've all worked hard together for, and that to me is is what makes it even more special that they took the time to do that. It's a little thing, right? And it took seconds, but what what a lovely moment it must have been for those guys outside. Yeah, hundred percent. And you, listen, you've heard you know the manager and you know players and stuff as we're talking about that they're, they're they're just they feel so bad for the fans not being able to be there and, and seeing all this happening within the flesh and stuff but i wanted to come back to the manager because when you talk about that togetherness and that bond within the squad it's clear that the manager instilling this and been able to try and come into it now i know we could talk about the farce that happened at half time but in fairness that's exactly what i want from my manager but if he's seen that degree of injustice he's, he's he's in and he's questioning and he's been able to try and do that Same. i thought Ger- I, I thought Same. gerard was was brilliant in his post match last night as well I know he was kind of having a bit of a laugh and a joke when he's talking about Alfie dancing around to, to Sweet Caroline with his top off and stuff. We all love that. But the fact that he's come out and he's defended his players, he's defended, you know, what he chose to do as an action, but he's been humble with it. And he said, you know, maybe I have reacted in the wrong way, but not enough to, to merit what actually happened and the, and the dismissal. But Gerard is absolutely bought into this 100%. And it's it's funny because as we talk about, you know, what will, ha- what will lie in his future, you know, moves to Liverpool, etc. at some point further down the line, um, he is fully invested. He is so bought into what we're doing here at the moment as well. And you can just see, even from the Goldson goal, when you saw him celebrating and then he realised that it was offside, to when we eventually scored the winner and stuff as well, he is so committed to this. And it's just it's just wonderful because I think, as a principal architect of, of all of the success that we're having, I genuinely don't think of, of too many people who deserve it more than him when we lift that title. No, he's been the guy who oversaw this remarkable, you know, transformation with one hand tied behind his back in terms of finances. So, no, you're you're totally right. And I think that you don't need to be a psychiatrist to work out that not winning a title, and particularly the year at Liverpool that, you know, they they could have won the title, um, is is probably his, his biggest regret and maybe his only regret from a phenomenal career. And to go and put that right at his first club, at a huge club, at a club who it wasn't shooting in. You know, this was not, you know, Pep taking over at, at Bayern Munich. This was a club that was on its arse. Um, he will deserve every single bit of praise that's coming his way. And someone else, and I do want to, to, to swing back to this, someone else who you had said was potentially one of your players of the season, which is Connor Goldson. Obviously, uh, as we mentioned, very unlucky with the with the, the goal being chopped off last night. Um, but congratulations to Connor Goldson as he becomes uh, the first Rangers player 
to or the quickest uh, Rangers player to get to 150 uh, 150 games, which is over 965 days. He's beaten Kai Johansson's record, which was at 977. We talk a lot, David, around the rotation of his partner. So we talk about Phil Holanda, we've talked about George Emerson, Nikola Katic, uh, Lee Balligan, Jack Simpson has come in, it looks like he'll be playing within that. Um, we've also spoken about Goldson's uh, options in terms of, you know, obviously uh, whether or not he renews a contract, what happens at that stage. A tremendous, tremendous servant and uh, a bedrock, in my opinion, of the relentless, ridiculous record-breaking season that we're having um i you know uh, the, the the guy's been absolutely magnificent I, I i don't know i genuinely don't know i could point three or four of them to be player of the season Connor goldson is absolutely right in contention for that yeah i mean for me he is my player of the year and i know that there's been other extraordinary uh candidates you know alan mcgregor's been brilliant uh, stephen davis has been fantastic james tavernier obviously stands out but for me just for sheer consistency throughout the whole season it's been him his leadership on the park as well his uh defensive yeah the, the, the defensive record i think is in large parts down to his organizational skills and you know he, he's spoken about this in the past he doesn't like missing games because obviously he had to miss games when he was at brighton and he feels he lost uh, a period of his career due to that due to that uh, operation he had on his heart. So, um, no, he thoroughly deserves it, and I think that that people are appreciating just what he, he brings to the side. And I think, listen, that's probably a really good opportunity for us to to just touch on that slightly because we know what this week this weekend means. But where we are now, right now, as we as we record, eighty five points from an available 93, 23 clean sheets, nine goals conceded last 16 of the Europa League. Um, it has to be one of the greatest teams that Scottish football has seen, certainly within, you know, as I say, the, the, the modern era. Um, I don't think, and, and again, like you say, please, I'm, I'm happy to take a correction on this if it's maybe me just being slightly paranoid. I don't think that we're getting enough credit for where that sits at because I think if it happened to be our chums at the other side of the city, all you would read and hear about is how relentless that team are. But we have been absolutely magnificent this season. We are potentially, at time of recording, four days away from winning the league. Um, and I will ask you about that in a minute. But we are watching one of the greatest Rangers teams I think that you and I have ever seen. Uh, yeah, it'll be difficult to tell. You can only really tell, I think, after a, the dust has settled. But what I will say is that domestically, its record is up there with anyone. I think there's always a romantic... We romanticise the past, and if it was your team when you were younger, you will go, aye, but you know you couldn't, you couldn't compare it to this or that. You can only judge a team in what it does in its own era, in my opinion. Because you know it's not their fault that football has changed. Do we have gazes or loudups? No, of course we don't. We don't have the money to do that. We get that. But in terms of achievement, I think you know the gold standard for any Scottish team is domestic success is the first part of it, and that's coming. How you achieve that, and nobody can argue Rangers have not been impressive. We've dropped eight points by March for Christ's sake, and then Europe. And when you take all of these factors in, then yes, it really is that simple. And there's not really much more they can do to prove how good a side they are. And I'm excited for what they can achieve in the future. Um, we'll talk about this week in just a second, but we also have across the course of this week um, had confirmation um, that the Scottish Cup will be getting 
played to a conclusion this season. Um, and our uh, tie against Cove Rangers has been confirmed for the weekend of 3rd and 4th of April. Um, David, again, like you say, it's... it's Maybe I'm just being a, 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 a victim and become so used to how successful we've been across the course of this season. But if we are able, by one way or another, to have the league wrapped up within certainly the next uh, few weeks, we can put full energy into Europe and, and the Scottish Cup. This is a Rangers team, in my opinion, that Europe is is, is great to have, nice to do. We can, we, we can certainly test ourselves within that. I definitely feel this is a team that could go all the way to do the double. Oh, aye, absolutely. You know, I think that we, we need to be realistic about how far we can go in Europe. You never know with a, a good draw or whatever, but um, there are some sides with exceptionally strong squads that are still in it, and that's okay. But, you know, I, yeah, definitely. We'll be able to concentrate on those after the, you know, after the league is won, whenever the league is won, and it is going to be won. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I think, I think we can safely say that now. I think Rangers... The last time I checked, uh, I think it was late last night, the updated odds for Rangers to win the league were 1 to 5,000. So I'm confident that we can get over the line. I think that's going to fail to say. Um, now, I want to, to, to suggest some options to you because, as we've said, uh, it can be won this weekend. The permutations are such that if we uh, beat St Mirren um, at Ibrox on Saturday afternoon, uh, Celtic travel up to Tannadice for a 12 o'clock kickoff against Dundee United. Um, and if we win against St Mirren, Celtic need to win in order to be able to see us lift the, the trophy. And I know that we've had some various discussions amongst you know various different chats about how we would like to win the win the league, etc. Because it's a foregone conclusion. Here's I'm going to give you three scenarios, David, to be able to try and see what you would like to do, and it'll be a little bit of a kind of head versus heart conflict. You can win the league this weekend by Celtic dropping points, and therefore you'll be a league champion by two o'clock on Sunday afternoon. That's option A. Option B is that Celtic win it. Uh, on Sunday, and then therefore we go to a shootout at Parkhead, which means that we can win it on their patch. And option C is that we can win it at Parkhead, but Alfredo Morelos scores the winning goal. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, if you could script it, then of course it's that. Ideally for me, it would be, you know, just Alfredo leathering one in in the last minute from about 25 yards, going off, sliding down in his knees. But um, I want it done as soon as possible. So for me, um, if we win on on Saturday, which I believe we will, and then they drop points, I'll take that, take that all day long. Um, it would be great if the team got a moment, got its moment, but the team will have plenty of moments, trust me, as soon as they take to the park again. And... This is never going to be forgotten. So the fact that it, it might not arrive in a, a certain little moment that we can all look back on and say, aye, it was this, that, 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 that's not going to matter a damn. And I think, you know, we all felt, really we did deep down, that the way we were going to win this title, this, you know, 55th one, the, this first one since we were in the lower divisions, was going to be maybe dramatic helicopter Sunday-esque. It was going to take something like that. Nobody anticipated it was going to be like this. But I think there is something about this team's relentlessness and remorselessness that actually this is more fitting, this way that they just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And over the, the period that the manager's been there, and then when it really mattered, they just ran right over the fucking top of Scottish football. Um, so as soon as possible for this bear and uh, roll on being able to dust down my 1987 seven-inch single Championis 
uh, featuring the Ranger Squad, which will be getting played repeatedly. For about three months. Fair. About 15. (laughs) That's the minimum we'll be champions for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And listen, do you know what? I'll I'll take you back in time. We are uh, today a year unbeaten in the league. And could you imagine walking out after a defeat to Hamilton Ackies and turning around to each other and say, don't worry about this because wait till you see what's about to happen. Um, are pretty, pretty amazing. And uh, I think that we've got a Rangers team that I think we can both agree have got some some legacy-defining moments coming up in front of them as well. David, thank you for coming on to Extra. It's always a, a, a wonderful bonus to have you on and stuff as well. Normally I like to do the show uh, to give you a little bit of respite and stuff as well, but it's always a pleasure to have you on and, and talk about all things Rangers with you. Thank you, Cameron, and to everyone. No matter what happens this weekend, if it goes the way I think it's going to go, stay safe, etc., etc. But don't you feel any guilt about living it right up because you've earned it. 100%. 100%. Just think of yourself as Alfredo Morelos. Take your top off and run around to Sweet Caroline. Why not? Absolutely. We're all going to be doing it. We're all going to be doing it. Thank you to our executive producers in London, Mr. Mike Lee, Mr. Paul Myers. And if you want to be able to get ready uh, for this weekend's game against St Mirren and hear from our very own Mr. Edgar, who will be going to the game, please jump over to our Patreon site, which is patreon.com forward slash heart and hand, where you'll get up to four or five shows a day about all things to do with your beloved club and since we are on the verge of making history why not come over and join us right now with us and the five and a half thousand other bears as part of our wonderful community that's it david you'll be back on monday i dare say by hooker by crook with flagship is that right yeah one way or another one way or another i don't think you'll fail to record it should things go our way across the weekend no, uh, I, I, I don't i don't drink i'm the reliable one <laughs> uh, so no I, I, there will definitely be a flagship don't worry about that folks Wonderful. Listen, as David says, uh, no matter what happens, uh, stay safe, folks. Enjoy yourselves. Go out there because you have waited 10 years for this moment if it comes uh, and absolutely live it up. And we will speak to you again on Monday. Thank you. Podcast Network.